In our readings, to, well, today is the feast day of the dedication of St. John Lateran uh, in Rome. It's, it's the feast day of the dedication of an actual physical building, of an actual physical church of St. John Lateran, uh, which is the cathedral church of Rome. And because Rome is the mother church of all the churches uh, that are that are that compose the Catholic Church, um, this is a special feast day. Now, uh, probably just a little correction. A lot of people think St. Peter's Basilica is almost is kind of like functions as the cathedral, basically for Rome. But that's that's not true. It's actually another basilica in Rome that is the the cathedral for for Rome. And so the Pope is the bishop of Rome. His cathedra, meaning his uh, episcopal chair. From which he officially, you know, teaches the, the the church, the universal church, and the local church in Rome, uh, is in St. John Lateran. It's not in St. Peter's Basilica. Okay, St. Peter's Basilica has become famous because that's where Peter the Apostle is uh, thought to have been buried, and so it's built over the tomb of Peter, and that's why it becomes this huge pilgrimage site. But actually, St. John Lateran is the is the big deal church in Rome, technically speaking. Um, now, if we notice in our scripture text today, we've got this big theme of the mystical body of Christ. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because there's actually a focus on the people of God as, as mystical members of the body of Christ really being what the church is. But yet we're celebrating the dedication of a physical building. It's an interesting contrast. So in our first reading from Ezekiel, you've got this vision that the prophet has of a future temple. Okay, in Ezekiel's day, the actual physical temple uh, had been basically um, uh, abandoned, beat up, overcome, overtaken by the Babylonians, and it, were, it really wasn't functioning. Okay, um, and it was a great loss to the ancient Israelites, and they were very distraught about this. And Ezekiel is given this vision that's a very much a comforting and hopeful vision of a future temple that's going to be really, really glorious. Okay, and uh, the vision is a—it's a metaphor. Okay, so there's no literal physical temple, but it's—it's it's a symbol of the Church of Jesus Christ. And out from the—if you can view it—I'm going to try to think of it from your perspective. Okay, so east would be this way. So if you're—if you're viewing an aerial map, you guys are viewing an aerial map. East would be that way for you, correct? Is that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So if you got you here, you think of the temple like this. Okay, from an aerial view, east is that way. From the southern part of the temple flows this river, and then heads out this way to the east, and then goes down, and uh, eventually joins the Dead Sea. And these these waters that are full of life because they flow from the temple of God go down to the Dead Sea. And if anybody knows the Dead Sea in in the land in the in Palestine, the Dead Sea is uh, got such a high salt content that nothing can live in it. Okay. And it's also interesting because when you jump in it, you don't you 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 buoy up very very far. You can't sink in it. It's like impossible to sink because of the salt content. But in any event, it, nothing can live in it. So what's neat about the vision is that this river goes down and actually makes everything in the Dead Sea alive, so that living creatures can live there. And alongside of the route of this river, these trees grow, and there's this the fruit and these leaves are used for healing. And so it's all this whole idea of life. Uh, and it's really an image of, the, of God's grace that flows forth from the mystical body of Christ. And that's reinforced uh, in our other two passages. St. Paul in Corinthians says, you, all of you, plural, it's a you plural, you are the temple of God. Okay, 
And then in Saint, uh, our Gospel of, from the Gospel of John, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He's, and the Jews think he's talking about a literal building, but he's really talking about his body, his own uh, person that's going to be raised from the dead. And then this very powerful uh, reality of the mystical body of Christ being intimately connected with Jesus' Eucharistic body and Holy Communion and the waters of baptism and all of this kind of stuff. So we see grace flowing to us through Jesus, through the mystical body, through the sacraments. And that's, uh, that's our hope, that's our promise, and that's who we are. And we are a universal church. We're not just local churches that just do our own thing, but we're a universal church all over the whole world, and that's what makes us Catholic. It's wonderful. So why are we celebrating... In, in light of all of this kind of very high-level sort of abstract, you know, truths and mysteries about our faith, why are we celebrating like an actual physical building? Okay. Well, the physical building is is really important. Probably in the in the early church, uh, it was um, wealthy patrons who opened up large. Uh, they would have a section in their home that was very large, and the people would come in and they would have the Eucharistic liturgy in that space. And then as time goes on, these individual patrons, uh, just private members of the church, uh, not clergy, uh, the church was not recognized as a legal entity in ancient Rome until about the 4th century. So for the first few hundred years, it was just very wealthy, generous patrons who would basically dedicate large sections of their house or just give a piece of their property uh, for the use of the liturgy. And sometimes they got big and big. So there were some private uh, homes in Rome that are still known to this day by their original names of the patrons who, uh, who who established it. At this point, there's these huge basilicas built over them, but they started off as just little pieces of property that would have been considered big for the time, but still, by our standards, would have been small. And that's that's where the Eucharist was held. And then eventually, um, the the, uh, the church became recognized as a legal entity, could own property, and then had its own churches, essentially, like how we do it now. Uh, but from the get-go, it's important to realize, even if it was a wealthy person who took one of their large the family rooms or the living rooms or the center of their, um, maybe it would have been an outdoor space that a lot of the places in the ancient world, they'd have like this kind of a, uh, a garden that was like an outdoor space that was surrounded by the rest of the, of the house. Whatever space it was, they didn't treat it as a common space. They treated it as a sacred space because of the Eucharist because of the Eucharist. That's what made it holy, is because Christ was present there in their midst as they celebrated the Eucharist. Uh, and probably off at some point started to be reserved, like how we do it now. We have a tabernacle and he's actually reserved there. Um, that didn't probably happen right away, but it, it was it was something that, that wasn't too far off in history where we began to reserve the Eucharist. But it's a reminder that it's the Eucharist that makes the physical building itself a sacred space. Okay, So it's not like you know, one day we celebrate the Eucharist there, the next day, you know, my little kid is going to the bathroom there or something like that. You know, I mean, this is a sacred space set apart, and it's very important. And so even in the most primitive understandings of the physical location for the liturgy, it's a, a place that's not just common space, but it's sacred. And then all the more so when there's larger buildings built in this beautiful building we have here at St. Michael's. One of the great things about St. Michael's that I love is that it's perfectly oriented to the east. Perfectly oriented to the east. And that's kind of like the ideal traditional way of building a church. Uh, in Clyde, they couldn't, they didn't do it, just they couldn't have done it because the 
village had already been built up and developed, and they just it's kind of weirdly oriented. But St. Michael's, they had the opportunity, I don't know the history behind it, but they obviously had the opportunity to make it perfectly oriented to the east, which is, from time immemorial, the direction that Christians worshipped in. So that in itself shows you how the physicality of the liturgy is important. The physical building is important. Why is that? Because we're physical beings. We have bodies. We live in space and time. Okay? And so local communities are important. Now, this ties into, I think immediately, the issue of all the pastoral planning stuff that we're going through and church uh, clustering, but then especially church merging. You know, when these churches have to merge, we, we've done this thing where you rename it. Parish. The parish now becomes this abstract legal entity that's floating up in the air with a new name, right? And and I, I think it's probably I'm not into the new name thing. I think the spirit behind it is right. What they're trying to what we're trying to do is to say we got to work together and be a community even outside of our local, you know, particular parish or local church. Um, and so that's fine. But you know, this is one of the reasons why I've, I'm trying to push and reinstitute the idea of celebrating the dedication of each individual church. So we did a little bit of a dedication this year for St. Michael's. We did one at St. John's. Um, and next year we're going to be able to do all three, and I'm going to try to make a point of it because I really want to get across how the physical location is, is important. But it, there's a balance to all of this because we're not just physical beings, but we're rational beings too. The traditional definition of a human being is a rational animal. And so we have bodies and we have souls as well. And what's amazing about the human soul is that we're able uh, to encompass all of the universe in our in our minds we can conceive and grasp all that exists with our minds animals can't do that animals operate simply by what's in front of their face so they're super super parochial okay animals are like exaggeratedly parochial to the most you know extent that you could possibly imagine um, and and we talk about you know uh, anthropologists look at this when we're talking about human evolution uh, if there's various credence and, and weight to different evolutionary theories, they, they try to look for a specific line where there was animals before and then humans after. When did, where did that line come from? One of the things they look at is uh, transferable tools. Okay, So like an animal, like a monkey, can take a, a, a stick and he can see some ants and be like, ooh, I want those ants. And then he uses the stick to dig the ants out and eat the ants and have the ants crawl up the stick. And then, and then the stick is gone. He doesn't ever think about it. But human beings, we can use our mind to say, ooh, I'm going to use this stick in a context I can't currently see or perceive in a future context. Okay, So I'm going to like build a tool that's not going to necessarily accomplish a task that's immediately in front of my senses. I'm going to build a tool that I can use tomorrow and the next week and the week after, and I'm going to make the tool better, so forth and so on. That's what human rationality and what the soul is all about. That's given to us by God directly. And that's what makes us in the image of God. And so we see this balance where we can say, I am dedicated to my local community because I'm not this disembodied spirit floating out there in the in the ether. But at the same time I am a I'm a rational being creating God's image and so I can think past my own parochial limits. I can transcend tribalism, me and my group my family, my town, my this, my that, you know, my race, whatever it might be. We're rational 
creatures created in God's image. We can transcend that kind of local pig-headedness, so to speak, and we can think in terms of global community. And this is what makes us Catholic. So it's a balance of both uh, the local, physical, and the and the, tran- the, lo- the transcendently um, that which transcends the local, uh, because we both have bodies and we have souls. Um, this is the beauty of the Catholic faith. This is the beauty of the Catholic faith. It has that nice, beautiful balance between the physical and the spiritual. Uh, so let's let's keep this truth in mind as as today we celebrate the dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. <laughs>